Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to Culture Watch, a podcast of Speaking for Him. We take a look at the news from a Christian perspective and try to give you some encouragement as you navigate the waters of discussing current events with those around you. Because we are not of the world, but we are certainly in the world, and we need to be able to respond with love and grace to the things that are happening around us as we seek to encourage and build the kingdom of God. This is the news for the week of June 26th. We talked last week about the Dodgers pride night and some of the aftermath of that, how we've seen some major league ball players standing up for the truth, and now I have the opportunity to share with you the testimony of Trevor Williams of the Nationals and how he was convicted that he needed to stand up for his Christian faith in the midst of being a ball player. Now, I want to tell you at the outset of this, he is a Catholic, but He seems to be a man of great conviction, and he seems like he is one who may really know the Lord, and I was blessed by his testimony. I have two clips related to that, and so I'm going to play the first one, and I'll be back in a few moments. Trevor Williams, great to meet you, and thank you so much for doing this interview. Good meeting you as well. Thank you. Your tweet that went viral all over the world almost 20 million views Uh, it's a long statement but I'll just read a short piece from it now you said as a devout Catholic I am deeply troubled by the Dodgers decision to re-invite and honour the group the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at their Pride Night to invite and honour a group that makes a blatant and deeply offensive mockery of my religion and the religion of over 4 million people in the Los Angeles County alone undermines the values of respect and inclusivity that should be a held by any organization and like i said that's been read 19 million times trevor why did you feel so strongly that you wanted to make that statement uh it had to be said um we cannot stand idly by while our lord gets mocked and uh, before i hit send you know you, you try and do as much research as you can right you see the horrific videos that were posted of them you read about what they were trying to do um these things that are deeply offensive to us and then you see that while they're doing these things they're raising money for this that and the other they've been doing for over 30 years but it it was the point when the dodgers re-invited them after knowing very well what they've been doing for the last 30 years um to give them a community hero award Correct. And that and at that point, you know, at that point, I looked at the Dodgers code of conduct. I'm like, look, or the Dodgers fan code of conduct. And it said you cannot wear anything or say anything that goes anybody's against anybody's age, gender, creed, religion. And at that point, it was like, this is a blatant. This is going against their code of conduct. Um, it's a blatant um, anti-Catholic message that they're sending, regardless of how much, you know, quote-unquote good they've been doing in their community. But when I saw how deeply offensive it was, doing awful things to the cross, doing awful things about stations of the cross, like, it's just, it, it became a point where the, these negatives are are not, they shouldn't be honored 
and they shouldn't mock a certain room, a certain group. Because you did say in that statement as well that you believe all groups should be welcomed and respected when it comes to Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. So this group specifically, the group who call themselves the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, mm-hmm. what is it? if we get to the core of it, that you believe is mocking your Catholic faith? Yeah, I think if anyone with two eyes and a brain can see that they're, you know, they're they're mocking uh, the, the religious habits of the of nuns. They're mocking um, what we hold most deeply, and whether our core convictions, they're just they're they're blatantly mocking it. When you when you look at it from the outside and a totally objective view, this is it's blatant mockery. Okay, well, first of all, I want to point out the obvious truth here. And that is that if you mocked any other group, specifically Muslims or something of that ilk, you would be prosecuted to the nth degree. If this was something mocking African Americans' culture and heritage, they would be called out for that and get railroaded for mocking them to the nth degree. So... To just think about the fact that it is allowable to mock the Catholics and their religious institutions and more broadly mock Christians is just sad and disheartening. Not surprising, but sad and disheartening. And I know it's been very hard to live in our country and the world, especially over the last three to five years. But the one thing that has excited me on a regular basis is to see people pushing back against the narrative, pushing back against the culture. And I have to say, uh, to hear this young man so well articulate his view, too, is so refreshing. Because to relate it back to something that we are all very familiar with, I would remind you about every four years when we have a presidential election and how often it is the case that we are hearing from our pro-life candidates uh, because they know that, that life is an important thing to the religious base, specifically of the Republican Party, and so they cater to it. They often talk about being pro-life. But I often say it's one thing to say you are pro-life. It's another thing to articulate that position well and to be able to say this is why I believe what I believe. And I think that's one of the reasons that I really like this piece by Trevor Williams. And uh, I'm going to play a second clip from him, which really to me encapsulates his passion and really excites me because we share a similar passion. So here is clip two. And what we hold to most dear, we look at the cross and the crucifixion and we see that Jesus dying for us and his blood soaking us and washing us of our sin. And for someone to do that because they say it's art and it's out of love and tolerance, it doesn't make sense. Jesus died for us and washed us from our sins. My friends, that is the gospel. And for this young man to so articulately lay that out and to not back down is an amazing thing. Now, granted, he was talking to a religious 
television channel in full disclosure. And so he was on friendly turf, but just to hear someone in that kind of position, be able to articulate so clearly why this was offensive and be able to say, no, I'm not just going to sit silent because it can be very tempting to be like, well, I don't really agree with that type of activity or behavior and I would never engage in it, but I'm going to keep my head down. I feel like that's how so many people approach the pro-life issue. They're like, I would never get an abortion, but I really don't feel too comfortable telling someone else that they shouldn't get an abortion because it's their body and their choice, their decision. But I like the analogy that is drawn by Kristen Hawkins, who is the president of Students for Life, and I'm sure other people have drawn that analogy, but she wants people to realize that having that view is very similar to if I was in the 1800s during the Civil War saying, I'm against slavery, but if you want to own a slave, that's okay. Slavery only ended because people were willing to stand up and say, this is an atrocious wrong and it must be stopped. And I know some people get a little uptight because they say that shows like a white savior complex that they don't like the story of slavery because it required white people to save black people and it shows black people as incapable. But that's the reality of history. The reality of history is that black people were enslaved by this country by law and white people stood up and said enough is enough We are going to stand for freedom. Were there black people that stood alongside them? Yes. But the black people of history who stood for their freedom would be thankful to their white brethren for standing with them. And there's no shame in that being part of our history. All of our history, whether it be good or bad, is an opportunity for people to learn lessons. Please hear me. Sometimes things are not pleasant for us to talk about in history. But when we get to those places, it's not the time to stop talking about it. It's not the time to tear down a statue. It's the time to say, this is why the statue exists. This is the real story. And please let me tell it to you in full so that you may learn from it. So I'm really proud of Trevor Williams for standing up. And I hope that people will continue to push back. The reality is, folks, we have a lot of rights still in this country. And when we push back, we scare the powers that be because they don't have as much power as they think they do. And the dollar speaks very highly. Disney and Target and Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch being the parent company, have all hemorrhaged money because people have stood up and said, enough is enough. They claimed that the Dodgers Pride Night was sold out, but I've seen video of the game, and I've seen the stands, and those stands were polka-dotted with people. I wouldn't be surprised if it was under 10,000 people that were there. Obviously, Dodger Stadium is huge, and so it could still be a substantial number of people, but based on the pictures and video that I saw, it could well be under 10,000 because there just 
weren't people there. Now, there's a number of season ticket holders, and I realize that those get counted as sold and used seats even if people don't show up. But there is power in friendly protests like this. And there's one thing that each of these protests have in common that is so refreshing, and that is that there is zero violence associated. There's zero violence associated with saying I'm not going back to Disney World. There's zero violence associated with saying I'm not going to Target anymore. There's zero violence associated with saying I'm not going to spend my money at Dodgers Stadium. Those are not violent actions. Those are silent protests to say enough is enough. And I, for one, am grateful to see people taking a stand, and I want to encourage you to continue to do so. And I'm so proud of people like Trevor Williams who are willing to let their light shine, even though it may cost them greatly. I also want to remind you, as Billy Graham said, that when a man acts boldly, the spines around him are stiffened. Boldness is contagious, so if we act boldly, we can encourage boldness in others. The next story I want to share with you is testimony from Riley Gaines uh, this past week in Congress. For a refresher, Riley Gaines is a former college swimmer at the University of Kentucky, and she is testifying here in Congress about her experiences swimming with a biological male swimmer known as Leah Thomas, who swam, mind you, for three years as Will Thomas for the University of Pennsylvania, had lackluster numbers, changed to swimming as a female after transitioning, and then started winning races and won a swimming championship. And here's what Riley had to say about the effect of that on her and her fellow swimmers. Good morning, Senators. My name is Riley Gaines. I'm an advisor for Independent Women's Voice. I recently graduated from the University of Kentucky, where I was a member of the UK's women's swim and dive team. I proudly finished my career as a 12-time NCAA All-American, a five-time SEC champion, the SEC record holder in the 200 butterfly, making me one of the fastest Americans of all time, a two-time Olympic trial qualifier, SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year, and SEC Community Service Leader of the Year. But all of that to say that it's a lifelong journey competing at that level and it's impossible to put into words the amount of sacrifice and dedication that it takes. On March 17th of 2022, my teammates and I, as well as female swimmers from universities around the country, were forced to compete against biological male Leah Thomas. Thomas was allowed to compete in the women's division after competing as a member of the University of Pennsylvania's men's swim team for three years as Will Thomas. We watched on the side of the pool as Thomas swam to a national title in the 500 freestyle, beating out the most impressive and accomplished female swimmers in the country, including many Olympians and American record holders, by body lengths. Previously, Thomas had been ranked 462nd at best in the men's division the year prior. The next day, I raced Thomas in the 200 freestyle, which ended up in a tie. Um, We went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. Having only one trophy... The NCAA handed it to Thomas and told me I had to go home empty-handed. And when I asked why, which was a question they were not prepared to be asked, I actually appreciate their honesty because they said, Thomas, it was crucial Thomas had it for picture purposes. Thomas had to have it for the pictures. I felt betrayed. I felt belittled. I felt reduced to a photo op. 
But my feelings didn't matter. What mattered to the NCAA were the feelings of a biological male. In 1972, Congress enacted Title IX to end unjust sex discrimination in all aspects of education, including college athletics. But by allowing Thomas to displace female athletes in the pool and on the podium, the NCAA intentionally and explicitly discriminated on the basis of sex. Although the NCAA claim it acted in the name of inclusion, its policies in fact excluded female athletes, which are the very female athletes whom Title IX was passed to protect. But that is not all. In addition to being forced to give up our awards and our titles and our opportunities, the NCAA forced me and my female swimmers to swim to share a locker room with Thomas, a six foot four, twenty-two year old male equipped with and exposing male genitalia. Let me be clear about this. We were not forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. No one asked for our consent and we did not give our consent. And I'll I'll set the scene, a swimming locker room is not a place of modesty. You're undressing, you're fully exposed. And we were forced to take off our swimsuit in front of a man who was doing the exact same thing. If nothing else, I truly hope how you can see this as a violation of our right to privacy and how some of us have felt uncomfortable, embarrassed, and even traumatized by this experience. I know that I don't speak for every single person who competed against Leah Thomas, but I know I speak for many because I saw the tears. I saw the tears from the ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American by one place. And I can attest to the extreme discomfort in the locker room when you, from these 18 to 22-year-old girls, when you turn around and there's male eyes watching in that same room. And I can attest to the whispers and the grumbles of anger and frustration from these girls who, just like myself, had worked our entire lives to get to this meet. And I can attest to the fact that around the country, these female athletes who opposed the inclusion of Leah Thomas in the women's divisions were threatened, intimidated, and emotionally blackmailed into silence and submission. But unfortunately, our experiences are not unique. The number of female athletes who have been denied opportunities, traumatized, or hurt by policies that claim to promote inclusion is growing at an alarming rate. I hear these these female athletes and their parents um, I hear from these people who are seriously injured, one with permanent injuries um, that will plague the rest of her life because she was forced to compete against a much physically stronger man. This is unacceptable, and the integrity of women's sports is lost. It's unfair, it's discriminatory, and it must stop. Women's rights to privacy, single-sex spaces, and opportunities are being encroached on. Sports, sororities, locker rooms, dorm rooms, shelters, prisons. Some have tried to tar those of us speaking up for women's safety, security, and opportunities is transphobic or bigoted, and this is untrue. I've heard from people within this community, gay, lesbian, and trans-identifying Americans that agree females should not be asked to step aside and make room for male-bodied individuals no matter how they identify. Defending women's rights is not anti-anyone. Believing in biology is not bigoted. And following the science that there are only two sexes and that there are very real and important differences between the two sexes is not hateful, it's fact. I'll end with a quote very briefly from tennis legend Martina Navratilova. There will always be significant numbers of boys and men who would beat the best girls and women in head-to-head competition. Claims to the contrary are simply a denial of science. Um, I I thank you guys for for listening, and I I truly hope you heard my story. I wanted to cut that clip short because it is pretty long and just post post the video on the blog post, but I'm going to be honest here. That whole clip was important. And I like especially what she said at the very end there. 
which was, I hope that you listened and heard my story. There's a common saying that says some people listen to respond, others listen to understand. And it is quite possible to listen to something like that with your ears without comprehending what is being said here. The emotion with which she delivers this message breaks my heart. The fact of the matter is that there are women who worked for years to get the opportunity to have college teams in their colleges so that they could compete in the various sports. Title IX said that women deserved the same recognition and scholarship opportunities as men did in the sporting life. And so these new measures to try to get transgender people involved in women's sports and competing at a level where they are so actually far above the competition is really sad. The reality is that the national championship, which Leah Thomas, a.k.a. Will Thomas, won this past year, is one in which he beat a silver medalist in the Olympics. Think about that for a second. He beat the second best swimmer in the entire world, judged by the biggest competition in the world, in this college competition. And he did it, folks, because he's a six foot four American male with muscles. That's the reality. And I especially appreciate when she pleads for women in other sports because we've seen a trans woman beat the crap out of a biological woman in an MMA match. There's no way that a woman and a man can compete in mixed martial arts. Not that I'm a big fan anyway, but if you're going to have an aggressive sport like that, you have to have someone of similar body type to do that. That's why even within some of these sports, there are weight classes so that even if it is a man versus a man, you'll never see a 125-pound boxer face a 325-pound boxer because the competition has to be even. I've mentioned this before, too, that when I was an amateur athlete as a teenager, my athletic competitions were actually split into eight classes based on physical ability. So you would never see me, a class one, competing against a class eight in a track event. The class eight person would obviously lap me because my wheelchair has limits to its speed. Now, I like to think that I'm a speed demon in my wheelchair, but I know that people can outrun me and even in some cases outwalk me. There's no comparison between a pair of healthy human legs and a wheelchair. Them's just the facts. So I would never compete against a marathon runner in a race. It just would not happen. It would not be fair. 
in a similar sense, these women should not have to compete against biological men who are head and shoulders taller than them and way physically stronger. It does matter. And that's not to mention the discomfort that Riley talked about of disrobing in front of a biological male. We always talk about the trans person feeling comfortable in their own skin and being able to be in the bathroom of their choice. But we never talk about the comfort level of the other person. The person that is exactly who God made them to be and is just trying to go about their business. There is something wrong with this, and I applaud Riley for having the guts to take a stand for truth. My next story is related to the submarine trip to the wreckage of the Titanic. Sadly, all six people aboard that sub suffered the tragic loss of their lives. And it does appear, well, at first, many thought that they were trapped under the water for some time and only died when their oxygen ran out. Newer reports seem to indicate that they died even before they made it to the wreckage or perhaps just as they did. Either way, it is a sobering loss of life and I pray for each one of the families that they will find peace in the midst of their grief and the only one that can give them peace is Jesus. But I wanted to share a clip which is an interview that CNN, of all places, did with a father and a son who were considering going on this trip and backed out at the last minute because they had safety concerns. Jay Bloom and his son, Sean. Jay gave up their seats on the Titan for this trip. Another father and son did take those seats. They went on the Titan and, as we know, uh, sadly and tragically lost their lives. So I appreciate both of you taking the time to, to talk to me about this. Um, Jay, I know initially uh, you and Sean were both very intrigued by taking a trip on the Titan, right? You're in that small group of people, right, that just have that intrepid curiosity. You were curious about it. When you first learned that the Titan was missing uh, and then on those days they were hoping for rescue, you're imagining like everybody else... That, but for you, it's different that it could have been you down there, right? Gasping for air. Then you find out it imploded. Um, and you keep seeing images of the father and son who did take your seats. What went through your mind? Well, um, it, it's, it's a very, uh, surreal experience in the beginning. You know, you know, you're supposed to be on the, on that, uh, or you had the opportunity to be on that, on that sub. And, um, uh, you see, you see all this. It's everywhere, everywhere we looked. And the most haunting thing about it is when you look at at the news I, and open my laptop on social media, on television. It's, it was everywhere, and they'd show pictures of of the the people who lost their lives. And uh, all I could see when I saw that father and son was myself and my son. That could have been us yeah. in that picture. And Sean, I mean, obviously. Uh, the, the other young man there, he was 19, you're 20, right? I mean, it, 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 it is eerie, the, the parallels. What did you first think when you learned what happened? When, when the news initially broke, um, 
before the news initially broke when we were considering actually going on the submarine ourselves, um, one of the safety concerns I had before getting on was literally about the structural integrity of the submarine. Um, before we got on, I saw a video of uh, Stockton explaining how the submarine worked with the with the remote and everything like that, and I saw a lot of red flags with it, and it was only meant for five people, and um, I just didn't think that it could survive, you know, going that low into the ocean. So uh, ultimately, I ended up warning my dad about it, and he ended up agreeing with me. And when we tried to ask Stockton questions, he kind of a, uh, you know, brushed it off a little bit. So um, it's kind of red flags from the start. And then when the story came out. Um, you know, on the first day, initially we thought that um, the first thing we thought is that the submarine imploded because it's it's very difficult for a submarine of that size to get to the bottom of the ocean and not implode. Um, but that was the first thing that went through our head: was it either yeah. imploded or it got stuck under the Titanic on the first day? Right, and, and I know um, you know you had had these concerns. Um, Jay, it's it, 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 what's interesting is you had an exchange with. Uh, Stockton Rush in April. He says, quote, have space on mission one and two last minute. Price is 150 per person. You reply, I'll check my schedule and see if I can make it work. Three days later, he says, any luck. And at one point, uh, I know that he went to Vegas. He actually traveled to Vegas to see you, to try to meet with you, to close the deal. Now, um, Jay's sitting here talking about red flags. Something, what about that trip raised a red flag to you? I mean, he came all the way to see you to try to get you to buy these tickets. Yeah. Um, you know, Stockton, I, yeah, I think his, his heart was in the right place, and he, he really was passionate about his project, and he believed everything he was saying. But uh, one of the things that concerned me was he told me he was flying in to see me, and he was landing at North Las Vegas Airport, which is a, an odd selection. Most people that come in privately come into either McCarran, which is now Harry Reid International, or they come into Henderson Executive. And uh, I asked him why, and he said he was coming in on a, a two-seater experimental plane that he built. And I started to think about, he's coming in on a two-seater experimental plane to pitch me out to go on a five-seater experimental sub that he built down to the ocean floor to see the Titanic. And it was just, it was, it was uh, he has a different risk appetite than I do. Um, I'm a pilot. I have my helicopter pilot's license. I wouldn't get into an experimental aircraft. So there you have it, a father and son who were intended to be on this exploration sub of the wreckage of the Titanic, and they backed out at the last minute because of safety concerns. So I want to say a couple things here. First of all, I am not a risk taker by nature, and so I would never go into a regular-sized submarine, let alone a mini search submarine. The second thing I will say is it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, those rich people got what they deserved because they just wasted money on this frivolity of trying to explore this wreckage. And I think we have to be careful when we say that. And why is that? Because we all have things that we really are interested in doing and we will sometimes go to great lengths to do them. Obviously, they will be smaller scale if our wallets aren't as big as these people's, but we must not allow the amount of money and success they've had to make us view them as anything less than human. The next thing I want to say is this is a sobering reminder 
to all of us that absent from the body is present with the Lord and that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So this story compels me to ask you, where will you be when you draw your last breath and why will you be there? There are a lot of people in this world who believe in heaven, who believe that they will be there one day. But if you ask them why, their answers may be varied. They may say, well, God is love, so I will be in heaven. Or they may say, I try my best to make my good works outweigh my bad works, and so I'll be in heaven. But I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, and anyone listening, that the only way you will get to heaven is that when you arrive at the gates to heaven, you are able to say that I plead the blood of the cross. The only thing that allows us to get to heaven is because Jesus died for us. He took upon himself our sins and he gave us his righteousness. And that is why we can go to heaven. Now, I don't know the beliefs of the six people aboard this sub. All I know is that the day they died, the moment they died, they were ushered into eternity. And the Bible says there's only two places to go when you die. And those places are heaven or hell. And so it's important for us to realize that we need to make a decision about where we want to spend eternity. Because we were made to be eternal beings. The question is not whether we will have eternal life. The question is where we will spend it. And the other thing that I would point out about this story is that you could see as this father and son were being interviewed, the love and the regard that they had for one another. It really was heartening to see, and I'm so grateful that the father listened to his son. I saw a comment on the YouTube video, and it said simply this, if you train your children to be smart, and you should listen to their wisdom. And I really appreciate that. You train your children to use wisdom, and then they become a resource for you to listen to in their wisdom. This young man, this 20-year-old young man that was being interviewed on this clip, he was excited to go on this exhibition, but he started doing his research, and he said, Dad... These are reasons why I don't think this is a safe thing to do. I thought it was interesting that he even said that the capacity for the sub said five people and they squeezed six in. From what I understand, the the guy that was in charge that put this expedition together is someone that likes to bend and break rules. 
And that's why, in part, they ended up at the bottom of the ocean. The Proverbs say, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So again, my prayers go out to these families. I hope that they will find solace and peace in the days to come. I can't comprehend what they are going through, but I will continue to uphold them in my prayers, and I urge you to do the same. For Culture Watch, this is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 